Thank you, Bethelene. I need that calmness thing. I was joking. You go to the bathroom like 20 times when you have to teach, you know. Been to the bathroom and nothing left in the tank. <laughs> yeah, you can not have that on the podcast. <laughs> but I am happy to be here. Cynthia Haller is in Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. But she doesn't know that in one hour, this is going to be the happiest place on earth for me. <laughs> but I, I pray, I've prayed um, since I got asked to do this, that I might have the Spirit, I might teach with the Spirit, but more importantly, that you might receive with the Spirit that which you need to hear today. So I'm just going to take one minute and calm my heart and just look at you. And I appreciate you and love you so much. And I saw Marilyn. You're back from your mission. She's my backdoor neighbor. Welcome. It's good to see you. Hi, Janice. (laughs) Thanks for waving. My friend in the yellow coat from Costco. The Costco yellow raincoat. It's good to have you here. Okay, because sometimes I get nervous and I forget to look around, and I just want you to know that I appreciate all of you being here. So thank you so much. Um, As I began my studies of these chapters from Moroni 7 through 10, I always want to know what the background is and what's going on. Like, I try to guess how old people are and stuff like that. And so here's just a little background in um, what we're going to be studying. So we have a powerful sacrament meeting talk, basically given by Mormon to members of the church in chapter 7. We have letters from Mormon to his son Moroni in chapters 8 and 9, one that is at the beginning of of Moroni's call to the ministry, and one that appears to be near the very end of the Nephites' nation existence. And then we have some final words of Moroni. This time they're really his final words. He thought he was gone a couple times before that, but these are his real final words. And so I spent some time wondering about this relationship between the father and the son. These two great warriors, two great prophets, two great men of God, they were both keepers of the sacred record. And I just wondered what they were thinking as they watched their nation get annihilated. Um, What was it like to live in such a very wicked world where the hearts of men were so cold? What would it be like to be left alone as Moroni was? And then in my studies, I came across this statement from then Elder Russell M. Nelson, 1999 General Conference. He said, when you read the Book of Mormon, concentrate on the principal figure in the book from its first chapter to its last, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that really kind of changed my focus. I'm still interested in those other questions. They're not bad to find the answers to those other questions, and they're interesting. But um, I was reminded that Elder Lawrence Crowbridge, if you haven't listened to his Stand Forever BYU devotional from January of this year, is fabulous. Um, He called questions primary questions and secondary questions. And the, the things that I was thinking about were all the secondary questions. And the primary question that I needed to address today was, what can I learn about Jesus Christ in chapters 7 through 10? So as we've talked about before, the book's four primary writers, Nephi, Jacob, Mormon, and Moroni, they were all eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. The translator, the prophet Joseph Smith, was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. They saw the Savior. 
So think about that for a minute. And what they exhort and beseech and want to persuade us to do and most desire with every ounce of their being is that we come to know who they knew. Jesus Christ. What sustained them, and none of them had a cushy, no trial life, can sustain us. What gave them hope can give us hope. And it's as simple as this, that Jesus Christ is our, our Savior and our Redeemer, mine and yours, in every grand and intimate aspect of those words. And he wants us back with him and the Father. It is our choice to be there with them. President Nelson, 18 years later, in general conference, gave a talk on how we can draw the power of the Savior into our lives. He said this, we begin by learning about him. It is impossible for us to be saved in ignorance. The more we know about the Savior's ministry and mission, the more we understand his doctrine and what he did for us, the more we know that he can provide the power that we need for our lives. There is nothing easy or automatic about becoming such powerful disciples. Our focus must be riveted on the Savior. Think of Rosie the Riveter. Think of some kind of strong thing there. Our focus must be riveted on the Savior and his gospel. It is mentally rigorous to strive to look unto him in every thought, but when we do, our doubts and fears flee. So this is what we've been doing for two years, right? We've been learning about him from this record. And so as much as I love those who wrote the book and kept the record, and as important as they are, obviously we wouldn't even have the book if they didn't do that, but as much as I love all the great people of the Book of Mormon, I believe they might join with President Nelson in saying yes. Concentrate on the primary figure of the Book of Mormon, even Jesus Christ. All of my experiences and all my writings were to point you to him. You guys, I'm such a wreck. And I'm like not a wreck at home, but then I'm a wreck when I try to verbalize it. So sorry, just like go with it. <laughs> Um, so my question today that I'm going to ask several times to you is what are you learning or what have you learned about the principal figure Jesus Christ? Either what have you learned today, what have you learned this week, what have you learned over the past two years? Um, we'll finish up kind of the scripture part of this book of books as Diana Dare so lovingly calls this, but Becca will teach a topical lesson on coming to Christ next week. You have, the last few you have the last few verses, by the way, of chapter 10. <laughs> um, that invitation. But I just want to share with you some of what I learned as I changed my focus to the Savior. And I hope that you will ponder as you reflect back on the past two years what, what you have learned from, about the Savior. And I'm actually going to really try hard to leave about 10 minutes at the end. So I want you to be thinking if you'd like to share that which you've learned, that which has changed your life with the Savior. We're gonna have some time to do that because as we are this community, we build, we come together to edify each other. It's not just my words or the teacher's words, but you guys have lots of thoughts I know going on in, in your heads as well. So there were lots of topics we could have covered today. Faith, hope, and charity. Judging righteous judgment, how to determine if something's good. Miracles, the roles of angels baptism of little children, repentance, things that are a mockery to the Lord, finding hope in crushing and devastating times, a principle with a promise, gifts of God, 
the value and importance of repetition and then the invitation to come unto Christ in perfection and sanctification. We're not gonna get there. I talk way slower than Becca. So we're just gonna get going. We're gonna stop at 45 minutes to the hour and let you guys have some time. So we're gonna start actually in chapter 10. So if you'll go there with me. Verse three. You guys, these are very familiar to you, but we're gonna just go through them slowly. This is one of the things that Moroni exhorts us to do, and we see Moroni exhort us a lot in this final chapter. And that word means just what you think it means. Strong encouragement or urging to do something. It derives from the Latin verb portare, meaning to incite. So maybe like incite a little riot in your heart, get some action going. And it also implies the ardent urging or admonishing of an orator or preacher. So I was thinking maybe in today's lingo, it might be like sending a text or a email in capital letters, but not angry capital letters, just like regular capital letters, like listen to what I have to say. <laughs> All right, so first thing we're counseled to do is to read these things. So read these words, read this book. That's what we've done, right? This past two years, hopefully you've all read it. Probably you've read it more than once in the past two years. And then this second part of the sentence. I would that you would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam even down until the time that ye shall receive these things. Have you done that? Quite honestly, I don't think I've ever paid attention to that part of the sentence. Let's read it again. So before you even pray about these things, once you read them, remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, even down until the time you receive these things. In other words, his counsel is when all is said and done, there's much of wars in this book, destruction, wickedness, pride, sin, there's a lot of doctrine, there are a lot of principles. But he's exhorting us, urging us, inciting us to first focus on the consistent mercies of the Lord from the creation down to us. First think on God's grace and mercy to us. If you'll go with me to 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 20. Right in the middle, of that verse, we have what's sometimes referred to as Nephi's thesis statement. Behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen, because of their faith, to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. So as the book begins, we have Nephi saying, this is my purpose, I want to show unto you the tender mercies of the Lord. And then bookending that, we have Moroni finishing with, I want you to now remember the tender mercies of the Lord, both in your life and in the lives of these people that we've read about and in all of humanity. So we're gonna do that for a minute. I've asked Betsy if she'll just play a song. For those of you who are listening, this is not like halftime at the, at the Super Bowl, don't go to the bathroom. Just stay where you are. Shut your eyes. I want you to shut your eyes. I don't have any pictures of the Savior because I want you to think of your picture of the Savior. And I want you to think on that sentence. Think about some of those mercies, both to you and 
throughout. We'll just do like a couple minutes. Thank you, Betsy. So I would like to just ask if anybody would have anything they'd like to share. What did they think about? We have the mics somewhere that will come to you. Raise your hand if you 
I want to share your thoughts while you thought on those tender mercies. One back here. Thank you. She started playing that beautiful music. A lot of, of pictures of Christ came through my mind. But the one it settled on was Harry Anderson's depiction of Christ coming out of the clouds, uh, the second coming with his hands outstretched to all of us and showing the signs in his hands and welcoming us. Thank you. Any other thoughts? When I did this, okay, I, I know I cry a lot up here, but when I'm studying, I usually don't cry. <laughs> and as I took that time, it was kind of like time stopped for me. I had one of those kind of in-the-zone experiences. And I was just blown away with the Savior's love for me. And I knew that he was very much aware of me, and I just filled with gratitude, and I, I just wept. I don't even know how long I wept. My daughters and grandkids are living with me right now. I thought, oh, I hope they don't come into this room. They'll be like, what is wrong with Grandma right now? But if for nothing else, I'm grateful to teach because of that sweet and very personal experience I had thinking about the the Savior and his tender mercies to the world and to me. Okay, no, there's Kleenex. Let's go on. Thank you for doing that with me. Um, the end of that sentence says, receive these things. It's different from the beginning of the sentence when we're told to read these things. So we read them, but as we read them, and think on those tender mercies. Hopefully they, we then receive them. We take them in. We nourish them. We hold them in our heart. We contain that within ourselves. And then we ponder. I think those go together. Verse 4. When you receive these things, we ask God if they are true. And even that has some conditions, doesn't it? We must ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith. Faith in what? Faith in the outcome, as Becca taught us, or faith in Christ? Faith in Christ, that no matter what the outcome of that asking is, that we will then act on it. Um, you'll remember that friend President Nelson talked about in our most recent general conference, who his wife had died, and so he wanted to be with her in the afterlife, so he asked President Nelson, can you help me? So he said, sure, I can help you, and he sends the missionaries. Missionaries teach this friend, and then after he was taught, he said that following the course they advised would require me to make too many changes in my life. So he declined um, the offer to continue learning, and so his intention apparently was not enough to cause him to act but we're not as judge as President Nelson reminded us. <laughs> um, Joseph Smith contrasts that with him. He went into the grove with the intent to act on whatever answer he got. 
He said in Joseph Smith History 118, My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right. Why? That I might know which to join. So he intended to act on whatever knowledge he got. He did get an answer that he wasn't expecting, I think, but he acted on that answer. So do we have that faith where we intend to act on the knowledge that we get? Honestly, sometimes I don't ask questions because I not, I not have the courage yet to act on the answer that, I'm, that I might get. <laughs> um, so then we get the promise of following that process. God will clearly show you. He will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. He will clearly show us. Might not be loudly, might be soft, but clearly and obviously be palpable to us. We will know the truth of these words. And then verse five, we won't, all, won't just know the truth of these words. We can know the truth of all things by following the same process. And then in verse seven, turn the page over. And we may know that he is by the power of the Holy Ghost. So three things we can know right there, three important things, that the words of the Book of Mormon speak truth. We can know the truth of all things, and we can know that Christ lives by that same power. And this is how God works, isn't it? It's how he's always worked and how he will always will according to the faith we have in him. And that is shown to us by the influence of the Holy Ghost. So what I learned from just those few verses is that when I follow the process given, I can, by the influence of the Holy Ghost, know my Savior in a very powerful way. My question to you is, what do those verses teach you personally about the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, we're going to go to chapter 8. So I thought to myself, how and where am I going to find Christ in this letter devoted primarily to giving instructions on, about baptism for little children? So as you know, this is a letter from a father to a son, but also from the president of the church to a local leader clarifying a point of doctrine. And I thought, why would he put this in here? Why is so much energy spent on this? In verse 9, we uh, Mormon says, I heard about this practice going on in your, over here in your neck of the woods, and so I've prayed about it. And this is what I got. Verse 9 of chapter 8. And after this manner did the Holy Ghost manifest the word of God unto me. Wherefore, my beloved son, I know it is solemn mockery before God that we should baptize little children. Those are pretty strong words, a mockery before God. And why, why was it such a mockery to God? Um, Joseph Smith, as well as these scriptures, teach that there are two reasons why. If you'll look up in verse 8, right in the middle, little children are whole, for they are not capable of committing sin. So to baptize little children and say they couldn't be in heaven with God would be to deny the very nature of God saying that he was a partial God, only allowing some the opportunity of salvation. And we read that in 11 and 12. 
and their little children need no repentance, neither baptism. Behold, baptism is unto repentance, to the fulfilling the commandments, to the remission of sins. So why we're baptized is to have a remission of sins. So if these children are not capable of committing sin, then we're denying we're denying, we're saying God is partial God, if you go on in verse 12. But little children are alive in Christ, even from the foundation of the world. If not so, God is a partial God, and also a changeable God, and a respecter to persons. So that was one of the reasons, that's why it was so offensive to God, because it's saying, well, didn't acknowledge who he really was as a, as a non-partial God. And the second thing comes in verse 20. And he that saith that little children need baptism denieth the mercies of Christ and setteth it not the atonement of him and the power of his redemption. So it's saying that all those who, who died that Christ wouldn't have power to redeem them if they died without the gospel, if they were below the age of accountability. So the first thing was it denied the very nature of God. The second thing was it denied the power of the atonement and the mercies of Christ. So um, I thought about that, and in, in verse 16, he actually says, calls them to repentance, for they shall perish except they repent. Um, and I thought, have we had a, re a recent call to repentance, kind of like that as a church? Can you think? Yeah? Any ideas? Yes, Susan. That's exactly what I thought of. And there may, you may have thought of others. So calling the name of the church by his name. Um, you'll recall that he, he talked about, President Nelson talked about not leaving Christ after all he has done, not leaving him out of his church, um, the name of his church. He was pretty straightforward about it. He said, if we allow nicknames to be used or adopt or even sponsor those nicknames ourselves, he is offended. When we discard the Savior's name, we are subtly disregarding all that Jesus did for us, even his atonement same as these guys. When we omit his name from his church, we are inadvertently removing him as the central focus of our lives. So that kind of led me on a path down of questions, and I started thinking, in which of my actions am I perhaps mocking God? Which of my actions deny the character of God? Do I allow him to provide miracles or gifts in my life, or do I try to do it all myself? What about the mercies of Christ? Do I accept them? Do I understand and act like I know who I am in relation to him? Am I living up to my divine potential? What are the ways I need to change? I was visiting a Relief Society recently, and the woman made this comment. She said, my guess is that none of us are major breakers of the commandments, but perhaps we are mushy around the edges. I like that, I'm, I'm physically mushy, <laughs> and in other ways mushy, um, I like that. Um, from President Nelson, his conference talk, just the last conference to the men, we can do better and be better. The word for repentance in the Greek New Testament is metanoeo. The prefix meta means change. 
The suffix noeo is related to Greek words that mean mind, knowledge, spirit, and breath. Thus, when Jesus asks you and me to repent, he is inviting us to change our mind, our knowledge, our spirit, even the way we breathe. Michael, what does that look like, changing the way we breathe? Um, a few years ago, I went and got a massage, and it was one of those, like, at a new place, if you were new, you could get, like, half off for 90 minutes. I'm like, this will be great. So I went there, and I, I went into the room, and the therapist came in, and she said, she said, I like to do... Um, gratitude massages. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and she said, what I want you to do is I want you to be grateful. Think about all the things you're grateful for while I give this massage. To breathe in and to breathe out gratitude. That was a really sweet experience to do that for an hour, to try to think with every breath in something you were grateful for every time you breathe, breath of gratitude. Um, in the Christmas devotional from last year, again, President Nelson said, can we begin to see the breadth and depth of what the Lord is giving us when he offers the gift to repent? He invites us to change our minds, our knowledge, our spirit, even our breathing. When we repent, we breathe with gratitude to God, who lends us breath from day to day. And we desire to use that breath in serving him and his children. So I like that we can change our breathing maybe by changing how we're thinking about things and being grateful for them. And then you'll know his, President Nelson's famous thing, eat your vitamin pills, get your rest, it's going to be exciting, that famous quote. I kind of laughed when I heard it, but then after reading this talk about repentance, I'm like, I think he's serious. <laughs> Underneath that lightheartedness, he said that, that Christ is asking us to change the way we love, think, serve, spend our time, treat our wives, we could say husbands, families, those around us, teach our children, and even care for our bodies. So do we mock God by our lack of care for our bodies? Do we take care of them physically? Do we clothe them in a way that would be pleasing to him? How about the gift of our family and other relationships? Are we present when we are with them? Do we turn up our devices? So my husband, about maybe two or three years ago, he made, took a little basket, and we, he has all these old cassettes still, so we put him in there and made some rows and covered it with this little cloth and he put a little sign on up phone crib so that when our kids come on Sunday dinner, they put their phones in there. And there was quite a bit of rebellion when this started. <laughs> but now they do it so that we can actually be talking to each other instead of looking down at our phones. And even just the other night, I was walking with him to a class and my phone went, it beeped and I was waiting for a message from one of our kids and he's in the middle of talking to me and telling me about his day so I like fumbling for my phone, I took it out, I'm reading, I'm starting to respond, right, bad, right? And he stopped talking, I said, oh yeah, just keep going, I'm listening and he said, I'll just wait till you're done. I was like, oh, ouch. <laughs> I definitely was not showing my Heavenly Father that I cared about that relationship right then and I can do better. I was talking to my oldest daughter, Kate, about this talk 
on repentance. And I loved her perspective. She said she loved it because it reminded her that our Heavenly Father, President Nelson, our leaders, all believe that we have the potential to improve. And that kind of goes along with President Nelson's attitude that this should be a happy, joyful thing. This is an opportunity, this is a gift we have to get better. So I really like that. That what do they see that we negate by labels of neg or negative self-talk? How are we telling God we feel about his nature when we don't see ourselves as he sees us? Is that mocking him? These are some of his words. This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Men are that they might have joy. Ye are gods and all of ye are children of the Most High. All of you are children of the Most High. And these, his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Be still and know that I am God. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Do we trust those? Do we really believe those? Um, Elder Jeffrey Holland talked about this. He said, the Savior said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not let, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I had submit to you that, that that scripture right there may be one of the Savior's commandments that is almost universally disobeyed. Here's the scripture again. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's saying that's pretty much universally disobeyed. And yet I wonder whether the, our resistance to this invitation could be any more grievous to the Lord's merciful heart. I can tell you this as a parent, as concerned as I would be if somewhere in the lives, one of my, somewhere in their lives, one of my children were seriously troubled or unhappy or, or disobedient, Nevertheless, I would be infinitely more devastated if I felt that at such a time that child could not trust me to help them or to um, hold their interest. In that same spirit, I am convinced that none of us can appreciate how deeply it wounds the loving heart of the Savior of the world when he finds that his people do not feel confident in his care or secure in his hands or trust in his commandments. Um, last weekend, I was in St. George with that, uh, my oldest daughter, Kate, and my youngest son, Sam, Spencer. Sorry, sorry, Spencer. <laughs> and his um, wife, Amanda. And we were visiting, and uh, my sister lives down there, one of my sisters, and so I try to attend church with her when I'm down there. And as we walked in, we were a little bit late, but the example of my sister who greeted my daughter as we walked into that meeting a little bit late with pure delight on her face. So good to see you, she whispered. You look beautiful. That color is so great on you. Just her face was lit up. In other words, she was saying, I love you. I see you as a daughter of God. Do we talk to ourselves that way? Do we think about others that way? Or do we mock God by saying, mm, we're not really your daughters? 
Um, so, one of the things I learned from that chapter that I didn't know I was going to learn, I learned the importance of daily reflecting and happily rethinking to make sure that I am honoring the atoning sacrifice made in my life, to make sure that I am not denying the nature of God and what he wants to give us. What did you learn from chapter 8? What do those verses teach you of the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, we're going to briefly look at a couple of things in chapter 9. It's kind of a depressing chapter in some ways. <laughs> it describes this final wickedness that Mormon and Moroni both, that they're witnessing of the Lamanites and the Nephites. I mean, there's rape, torture, murder, cannibalism, anger, contention, loss of love one for another, continual thirsting after blood and revenge, acting without principle. You might say, well, that's the world we live in. <laughs> we do live in a similar world. It can be kind of scary to think about bringing a child into this world. But if you'll go with me to verse 20. Mormon says, And now, my son, I dwell no longer upon this horrible scene. So I kind of love that. He just pulls himself away. He knows it's there. He acknowledges that that's the world they're living in. But he says, you know, I dwell no longer. We don't have to dwell on it. We can pull ourselves out and look to Christ. Um, it's kind of like saying, I know all this, and yet... I choose to do something else. And then starting in verse 22, we get this really sweet, and I kind of almost feel it sacred, kind of like a father's blessing from Mormon. You feel his, or I did, I felt his love for this righteous boy who had become a man of God. And these sweet words, I recommend thee unto God. Oh, we've got all this wickedness going on, but you, my son, I can recommend you to God. I just love this father telling his son these words, a parent's belief in a child. And I appreciate the pattern because it's a pattern we have from our Lord, our Heavenly Father, and our Savior to us, right? They say, I believe in you. So I wondered, do I let my children know of their goodnesses, of their daily fighting versus evil, even those that have chosen a different path? We need to remember that they were his before they were ours. He knows them. He loves them. He will lift them. But on our part, can we still see their lights? Do we lift and encourage and love them where they are, where they stand, like Christ does? I was touched by the tenderness in President Irene's recent exhibit of watercolor paintings. If you got to go see, that was really sweet. Um, and how he used them to journal. By one of the pictures was this quote. When President Irene and Kathy married, they lived in a guest house in Atherton, California, near Stanford University on the Johnson family estate. It was there the journal began. And this is the part I loved. He explained to his son, Henry, I was doing it for you to read someday because you and your brothers and sisters 
would be the most important people I would ever serve. Do we tell our kids that? You are the most important people to me, and I love you where you are, where you are standing. I know I can do better at this. It is something that I feel I was and am blessed with, this knowledge and belief in me from my earthly parents that imitates that of our Heavenly Father and His Son. It's one of the huge blessings I feel I have in my life. So thanks for that, Mom and Dad. And to my children who are listening, I sent them all the link. <laughs> they can listen at work or where they were. But um, I just want you to know that I know of your goodness. You lighten many lives. And it's one of my deep, deep honors to be your mother. Um, verse 25 and 26 of chapter 9. The blessing or counsel kind of continues. My son, be faithful in Christ, and may not the things which I have written grieve thee to weigh thee down unto death. So that's the clue right there, right? Be faithful in Christ. Don't let these weigh you down. But may Christ lift thee up, and may his sufferings and death and the showing his body unto our fathers, and his mercy and long suffering, and the hope of his glory and of eternal life rest in your mind forever. And may the grace of God the Father, whose throne is high in the heavens, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who sitteth on the right hand of his power until all things shall become subject unto him, be and abide with you forever. That's sweet. So I learned in chapter 9 about how trusting in Christ helps us feel his love and his lifting and his charity and his hope, no matter the outward burdens we may be experiencing. So for you, what did you learn in chapter 9 about the Savior? What do those verses teach you about the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, we're not getting to faith, hope, and charity. That's your summer assignment, gifts of the Spirit. I um, would like to invite any who would like to stand and, and uh, share with, with us your thoughts of this day. Um, or of the two years that we've been studying this Book of Mormon. We'll go till five till, but just while you're getting the courage to share, <laughs> you can come up here, or we have mics, you can stand. President Nelson, once again, he would talk to the young adults um, in January of 2017, and he challenged them to read the standard works and to mark every scripture that um, referred to the Savior. He said, I gave that challenge because I had already accepted it myself. I read and underlined every verse cited about Jesus Christ as listed under the main heading in the 57 subtitles in the topical guide. When I finished that exciting exercise, my wife asked me what impact it had on me. So he was probably 91 or 92 at this point. I told her, I am a different man. I love that. Are we different women? Do we intend to follow Moroni's exhortation and reconfirm our testimony of the Book of Mormon? Do we intend to act on the knowledge we have received from this class and from our own studies? 
our journeys are different, I know. But I do imagine that you are better and closer to the Savior than you were two years ago. Otherwise, what is the purpose of our meeting here each week if we walk away the same? So, the question, what are you learning or what have you learned about the principal figure, Jesus Christ, over the past two years? You can come up here or we've got mics. I uh, was grateful to learn, I'm in the very back, (laughs) Um, so many things, but one particular, I was struck on Sunday as the sacrament was brought around, and it was very clear to me that it's very important to the Savior that each one of us is given the opportunity to partake of the sacrament every single week, and the amount of time that it takes to make sure that every person receives the sacrament, and because of that, I um, was able to ponder on the individualness of my relationship with Savior Jesus Christ and how important it is that we have that very often touch of his hand in our life. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Um, and I, when Sisters in Scriptures was starting, um, I was so excited to come, and then I got an opportunity to teach um, as a substitute at Olympus High School um, long-term. So um, since the beginning of October through the end of the school year, I've been teaching A-days last semester and B-days this semester, so I haven't been able to come every week to Sisters in Scriptures, and um, that was really hard for me because it's such a strength in my life, but um, I tried to make sure I was still in the Book of Mormon every single day Um, and come every Tuesday that I possibly had a chance. And even though I was, well, I'm always late, um, when I would show up, the power um, of the Spirit here was so strong. And I'm just a couple chapters away from finishing, so I'm a little behind. Um, But I'm going to get there. But um, what it just um, reinforced to me, again, especially even today, because this is my last week since I'll be teaching next Tuesday, Um, is that every time I pick up the scriptures, um, I feel something. And every time I come here, I feel something. And that something that I feel is powerful and it's good. And by the fruits of the Spirit, we will know. And so um, my testimony of the Book of Mormon has been strengthened. And also um, that that the gospel is one eternal round and that um, God loved his children before and that he loves his children now. And I've been so fascinated with um, the things that we learn in the scriptures that are the same in our lives today. And to me, that is just a testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel and the reality of our Heavenly Father. And I am so grateful for this year that has helped to strengthen my testimony of that. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
this morning, um, I prayed that I could feel the Spirit here today, and just in a bolstering kind of way with, um, to gain some confidence to step into kind of a, a sticky situation. And so I, um, I'm so grateful that we had that moment to just ponder with that music in humility, my Savior. Um, so thank you for that and for giving us a chance to just remember how merciful the Lord has been uh, to us and that we can rely on that mercy in every situation. In Jesus' name, amen. I hesitate even to stand up because I'm not quite sure the things that I'm thinking and feeling, but um, I have been thinking a lot about the young women um, this last year, and um, I feel like they feel that some things aren't fair in their life. Some young women are tall and beautiful. Some are short and round and still beautiful, but they don't think that. Um, for some, school comes very easily, and for some, it's really hard to to really succeed in that um, area. I think some have friends more easily, some have parents that can take them exciting places. I think the young women feel like it's not very fair from what I hear from them. I think sometimes we do the same thing as, as women. Um, but what I, what I am starting to realize the more that we're focusing on feeling the spirit and being taught by the spirit as our prophet has told us is that that is totally fair, I think. Um, I do realize that depression can kind of interfere with how we feel the spirit. But I do feel like God is very fair in the way that he um, allows each of us to draw near to him. And I loved how this sister talked about the sacrament being so individual. And um, that is the way, that is one thing that's fair. And a very, very poor girl, a very unhealthy girl, a very... Um, Every girl can draw near to the Savior. And um, so if we focus on that, suddenly life seems a lot more fair. And I think it gives them and us a lot better um, goals than being the smartest or the prettiest or I don't know. Does that make sense? So anyway, um, also I think that I have been praying so much for just just understanding as I go to the temple and as I attend meetings. and. I read so many amazing things and I hear so many amazing things and I'm like, why can't I remember anything? What's wrong with me? It's like, I can't. And I think that um, pondering is one thing I've learned this year. Maybe if I actually think about it, I read it, but then if I re rehash it a little bit and to turn off my phone and to think, and then maybe it'll settle because I'm a little slower than some. But I've appreciated um, some of those thoughts this year during the class. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, sisters. If you still have a desire to share, I hope you share with your families the things that you've learned or the thoughts that you've had today. When I finish, we're going to sing together. I believe in Christ. Um, but I just want to testify to you that I know that as we come into Christ, as we accept his invitation to repent or to rethink, to change our minds, our knowledge, our spirit, even the way we breathe, 
as we seek and accept the gifts he desires to give us so freely as we practice these things a little more every day with as we with gratitude ponder the mercies of the Lord in ours and others lives we will know with power who he is that the words we have studied are true it really is that simple I do not claim to know the how that works but I know through my own experience that it does work that it happens he will heal the brokenhearted he will lift up the hands that hang down. He will free the prisoners. I know you can trust your Savior, and I know that I can trust my Savior to be merciful, to keep his promises, to redeem us with his love, to lift our burdens, to run under us in all things. I testify to you that Jesus Christ is the principal figure in this book of books. I love him, and I feel like I am slowly becoming a different woman for having spent time with him, and I'm grateful for that. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'm just going to start you, and then we're just going to sing together. Page 134, we're going to sing all the verses.